It's good to be here for another joint prayer meeting. So happy to see you guys. My name is John Michael Becker, and I'm a pastor at New Philadelphia Itaewon, and I also direct an orphanage ministry here in Seoul called Jerusalem Ministry. And uh, I want to tell you guys that baby box is very real. Uh, Mijong, one of our full-time volunteers, her home just got three babies as a result of the baby box, and Pastor G's home as well has been receiving babies, as have many of the other 23 orphanages in Seoul. Um, lots of babies are coming through. Uh, we need to keep praying for these babies to be adopted. Uh, it's better that they be adopted. The thing is, for those babies, because there is no trace of their, their family record or anything like that, they cannot be adopted internationally. They must be adopted within Korea. And so that's something we're continually contending for here at Joint Prayer Meeting, is that Korea will experience a change of heart and will begin to view children that aren't of their bloodline still as family. Okay, uh, along with Jerusalem Ministry, I also direct Oak Tree Project. It's something the Jerusalem Ministry started up. It's a scholarship and mentoring fund for orphans who want to go to university. And we were able to raise enough funds last year that we could uh, give out the scholarship to four kids. We're going to put the picture up right here. Uh, Pastor Sky, myself, Pastor G, and Mijunk were sponsoring and uh, mentoring these kids. There we go. Uh, this is from a family lunch that we had in, I think it was June, uh, when we had this. And so our kids uh, are here, 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 and here, if you didn't know. Uh, one girl, she's a second year, and she is uh, uh, attending a theater university here in Seoul. And so she'll be doing her musical in September. Uh, and then our three boys are attending a university outside of Seoul, down south. I believe it's in Chunan. And uh, they're studying some different things. And for these kids, two of them, uh, these two are Christians. They love the Lord, and they've really been growing with the Lord through Oak Tree Project. Uh, these two we accepted despite not being Christian. And uh, we call them weekly. They have to go to church. They have to take sermon notes. We have book assignments, all that stuff to keep these kids going. Uh, a lot of orphans have kind of a spirit of entitlement uh, in that they've always received food. They've always received clothing all their lives. And so now that they're freshmen, now they're receiving a scholarship, we have to make sure that they're responsible about it, uh, that these kids just don't take advantage of it. Uh, we want to really be good about what we're doing. And so at the beginning, it was a bit formal with these kids. Uh, for the two kids that are non-Christian, uh, one, one of them, he's almost erased all of his past, all the negativity, all the scars, all those things. He doesn't want to talk about it. Uh, he chooses to bury all those things. The other boy... Uh, He's also not in touch with his emotions as well, at least uh, tough emotions. He kind of buries it. And so one of his friends died a couple months ago in a motorcycle accident, and he wasn't able to shed a tear. Uh, he just, you know, it's kind of same and same every day uh, for him. And so these kids need a lot of healing. Uh, the two Christian ones as well, they, they, they need healing as well. I mean, these kids grew up in an orphanage. Uh, they've had quite a past. And we've been blessed just in six months to see them starting to open up. At the beginning, it was very formal, phone call each week, you know, and they're like, you know, like, yes, and, you know, it's like trying to keep it up. But now it's very much family, and they get excited. They text us whenever we miss a phone call or we're a little late, and, and they look forward to our monthly meetings. They're always asking, you know, where we're going to go, what are we going to do together? Uh, it's a taste of family that these kids are getting. And so it's been really sweet, just six months, uh, but it's already been very sweet. And so we're excited for the next six months for these kids and our prayers that we'll continue to raise funds for Oak Tree Project so that we'll continue to sponsor not only these kids, uh, but also receive more kids 
in the following years. And we will need more mentors. Uh, we will need specifically people who can speak Korean and are here for a few years, have a heart for these kids. We can train you guys up, but we need more mentors to join us in loving on these children. Uh, I want you guys to mark October 11th, it's Friday, October 11th. We're going to have our next benefit concert that night. It's going to be good. Uh, it's going to be on a uh, Pegam Art Hall near Samsung Station. It's a Friday night, Friday, October 11th. Uh, I'm not sure the time yet. It'll probably be 7 or 7.30. Uh, but Pak Juwon, who performed at our first concert, the guitarist, uh, one of the best guitarists in Korea. You can look him up on YouTube. He's everywhere. Uh, he'll be performing again for us, as will the jazz band, La Ventana. Uh, they'll be performing, and we might have some guest appearances. We're, we're not sure. Uh, but those two are guaranteed. So it's going to be October 11th. It's okay if you take your smartphone right now and, and mark that off. All proceeds will go to the scholarship fund. So, uh, you know, you can just consider your ticket as an offering uh, for these kids. That's my update on Oak Tree Project. And before I get in the message, I want to pray for us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you uh, for the love that's in this room. And we thank you for your presence God, we love your presence. We love your presence, God. And we just want more of you. We want more of you. And so, Holy Spirit, just come. Breathe upon us through this word, God. I just pray, Lord, for your timing. I pray, Lord, for uh, just your power to go forth, Lord, that uh, every heart may receive from today. And, God, we just bless the church as a whole. Every church here in Seoul, every church, Lord God, worldwide, uh, that you may just continue to stir our hearts for you and open our eyes to things that we had never seen to things that we had never considered before. Uh, we just bless your name. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matt, could you turn the AC up so it's not coming right on me? That'd be great. All right, joint prayer meeting. Uh, I love joint prayer meeting. Uh, God usually releases some, some different messages for me uh, to share here. They're usually very solemn uh, and heavy, like witchcraft and harbingers and, and things like that. Uh, but I think tonight the topic is going to be a little lighter, I, I hope, so we'll see. Uh, but the title of the sermon, I want to encourage you guys to take notes, is The Power of the Arts. The Power of the Arts, A-R-T-S, if you can't understand me, The Power of the Arts. And I'm going to be begin my sermon with a statement perhaps many of you have never thought about, and I want to encourage you guys to write this down. It's not a Christian statement, it's just a thought. And this is something that's been stirring in me for a few months now. God actually put this message on my heart in May, uh, but I knew it wasn't time yet. And God really stirred my heart while I was in Europe about this message. But it's this. Many artists and entertainers have left greater legacies than the world leaders of their day. Many artists and entertainers have left greater legacies than the world leaders of their day. Say it one more time. Many artists and entertainers have left greater legacies than the world leaders of their day. So we're going to have a little fun tonight. I'm going to put this to the test. I'm going to show you guys some pictures tonight. And if you recognize the person on this picture, there's no shame if you don't recognize, okay? If you recognize the, the person in the picture, I want you to just raise your hand. I don't want you to speak it out. Just raise your hand. Okay? It's okay if you don't know these. All right? So first person. Okay. Now, if I said one work of his, 
I bet almost every hand will go up. Romeo and Juliet. How many of you are familiar with Romeo and Juliet? Okay, we have Koreans in the room. We have Africans in the room. We have Americans, Canadians, Australians. All of you are familiar with this man, Shakespeare. Shakespeare. He lived at the end of the 1500s, the beginning of the 1600s in England. Let's look at the next slide. All right, guys. This guy was the king over Shakespeare. He was Shakespeare's king at the time. And, uh, you know, some of you guys might recognize him because the Bible's named after him. King James. He's a pretty important guy. He was the guy who colonized America. England first went to America under the rule of King James. They went to Virginia. I know this because I'm from Virginia. King James. Kind of interesting, right? You guys recognize Shakespeare, but this guy was far more powerful than Shakespeare at the time in terms of authority. But in terms of influence, Shakespeare is far more important and still is today. It's, about, it's been about, what, 500-something years since, since Shakespeare wrote his plays, and yet there's still going on today. That's powerful. I would do more of these old people, but I, I'm, I'm a little concerned for you guys. But for example, I think most of you guys know Johann Sebastian Bach. You guys have heard of him, right? But do you know the king of his time? King August of Poland. Did you know that Bach had to perform for the king in Poland? I, I bet you didn't know that. But that was Bach. And I bet you guys would recognize Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, Beethoven, Mozart, Van Gogh, and other famous artists. But I bet you couldn't name a single pope from during their time. And the popes were the most important men at that time. You probably couldn't name a world leader at that time, except for some of you history buffs, maybe Napoleon. But I bet you couldn't name maybe more than one battle of Napoleon's. And I bet the, the battle that you can name, because this only battle I know, was the one that he was defeated in. That's not much of a legacy. But I bet you guys would recognize the Mona Lisa. And if you were to hear it, you would recognize the Ninth Symphony. In fact, there's a YouTube clip of a guy playing the Ninth Symphony and how almost every pop song is connected to the Ninth Symphony. It's something interesting for you guys to watch. Why is arts and entertainment so important? I want you guys to write this one down, too. Once again, it's not a Christian fact. It's just a fact. Arts and entertainment transcend languages, cultures, and time. So next slide. Arts and entertainment transcend language, cultures, and time. When I teach my kids English, even elementary school English, they have to learn about famous artists and musicians from other cultures. And so they have to learn about Van Gogh. They have to learn about Pac. They have to learn about these different people. But I never see them learning about King Henry VIII or King George or Pope, whoever. You know, they don't study that. Instead, they study the arts and entertainment. Even music, we still sing psalms that were written over 3,000 years ago. Think about that. Even the song Amazing Grace, it's hundreds of years old. Yet we're still singing that song. It's powerful in other languages as well. Same goes for many other hymns. 
many other psalms. Transcends languages, cultures, and time. So let's continue to test this. This following artist could not speak English. He could not relate to any of you. He grew up in Spain and parts of other Europe, but he he could only speak, I believe it was Spanish and French. And he died long before any of you were born. This is not one of his famous paintings. And so I don't expect every, every one of you to recognize it. This is a random painting that I was Googling. I was just looking around, and I liked it. So I'm putting it up. So let's put up this painting. Pablo Picasso. Very good. I like this painting. Pretty cool. It's called The Three Musicians. Picasso, I'll admit, when I was growing up, I thought his paintings were pretty weird. Uh, and, and I kind of looked over it. But you want to know why he's so famous? It's because his paintings enabled you to see things in, from different perspectives. It opens up your mind. When you look at this, it's kind of hard to see, but then if you look closely, you see the three musicians. You even see the dog down there if you look closely. And there's something different about the depth perception, about the different things going on here. Pablo Picasso, some of his paintings go for $50 million today. His most expensive work goes for $106.5 million. You could buy multiple luxury private jets if you had that one painting, I think this big. I don't think you, you could sell all of South Korea for the Mona Lisa. It's priceless. You could offer this whole nation, and I don't think they would give it up. It's the power of arts and entertainment. Now, let's go to today, and I'm going to show you some different artists and entertainers of today, and let's see if you recognize them. And I'm not going to go with, like, the ones that everybody knows, like Beyonce, Michael Jordan, Jay-Z, Tom Cruise, not the top of the top. I'm going to go kind of with the second tier. So maybe not, not all of you will know these actors and actresses, but I'm, wouldn't, I think you guys will. First one I'm going to show, she was named Best Supporting Actress of this year. Not Best Actress, but Best Supporting Actress. Let's put it up. Raise your hand if you know who she is. Anne Hathaway, she performed Les Miserables. Please be quiet. Now, I want to see, especially for native Koreans, if you recognize this next person. Come on, look. Raise it high. Raise it high if you recognize. Not as many as I thought. Not as many as I thought, but my wife knew who this was, and so it's still legit. This is Kobe Bryant. He's a basketball player. Now, what's surprising about him is that a lot of people who don't know basketball, like my wife, still recognize him. Why? Because of marketing, arts, entertainment. This guy is everywhere. More Chinese would recognize this man than probably almost any other entertainer, any other politician, any other person. This guy's probably one of the most well-known people in the world, surprisingly. Let's go with the next now. Shh. Raise your hand if you recognize him. Not as many. I like that an Australian recognizes this guy. He is the vice president of the United States, Joe Biden. How about that? You guys recognized Anne Hathaway, a supporting actress. She wasn't even the lead role. 
You guys don't know the guy. If, if something happens to President Obama, he's the most powerful man in the world. Let's go with the next. Come on. All right, I got one. I got two. I got three. This man is the richest man in the world. He has more money than Bill Gates. His name is Carlos Slim Helu. He lives in Mexico. He is the richest man in the world. Over $70 billion. This guy's loaded. You guys are recognized entertainers, but you're not recognizing the most quote-unquote powerful people in the world. How about that? Now let's try Korea. Let's see. I especially want to look at the white faces. See if you guys recognize this next person. Raise your hand if you recognize her. If I say her name, you guys will all know it. Her name is Kim Yuna, figure skating champion. Yuna. I blew it. I thought it was Yuna. All right, Yuna. I don't, I don't like figure skating, but I see her everywhere. I know who she is. All right, this next one, if you guys don't know who this guy is, I don't know where you've been living. Next picture. Cambodian kids in, like, the Combo province know who this guy is. One song, he's a global icon. I bet you he is the most recognized man in the world. In the world. Probably more than President Obama at this point. If little kids in Cambodia, in the Combo province, that's on, like, the outer edge, know who this guy is, and they don't have Internet... I can pretty much guarantee he is the most well-known person in the world from one song. Next person. Raise your hand if you know him. All right, I'm seeing, I'm seeing a few. I got one, one white person who knows who this is. That's good. Do you guys know who this guy is? Some, all right, more than native Koreans know who this guy is. This guy is the richest and most powerful man in South Korea. Lee Kun-hee, he owns Samsung. The owner of Samsung. He is by far the richest man in South Korea. And since he's rich, you know he has the most influence. You see Samsung everywhere. Samsung is worldwide. Products are everywhere. Chelsea, okay, the soccer team in England, logos all over them. Other famous soccer teams, other places. And yet, I can almost guarantee you nobody in Cambodia could recognize this guy's face. I'm going to make a point. <laughs> Anne Hathaway is a young, up-and-coming actress. Kobe Bryant is a basketball player. Not the best in the world at this point, um, but he's, he's good. Cy is a singer. He sings songs. He had one hit. Yet those three people would be more well-known around the entire world than Vice President Joe Biden, who's very sadly unrecognized here. <laughs> Carlos Slim Helu, the, the richest man in the world, and E. Cunny, the richest and most powerful man in South Korea. Isn't that interesting? People would think, oh, it's the richest. 
that are the most famous, the most powerful, the most influential. Oh, it's the vice president. It's those in government. I bet you if I showed the House of Representatives, the Speaker of the House, another most powerful person, blank stares. <laughs> These guys have the authority to change government, change laws, change all sorts of things in our nations. We don't know who they are. They're not famous to us. Why? Because entertainment, the arts, that's what's important to us. That's what we want to spend our spare time and our spare money on. Your entertainment is what you spend your spare time and your spare money on. And for most of you guys, it's music, it's movies, it's musicals, it's arts, it's books, it's different things like that that will entertain you. And so you have no problem with Steven Spielberg making $100 million a year. Pro golfer Tiger Woods making $78 million a year, according to Forbes. Robert Downey Jr. from Iron Man making $75 million a year for movies. Some of you guys don't care about golf or movies, yet it's not really a problem. Why? Because entertainment's important to us. These guys aren't saving the world. These guys aren't feeding the hungry. These guys aren't changing adoption and abortion laws. They're making movies about a guy in a robot suit. They're hitting a ball into a hole. Okay? That's all they're doing. And yet, $78 million. $100 million. Take it away. No problem. Arts and entertainment are important to us, and that's why Psy is much more recognizable than the chairman of Samsung. Probably more recognizable than the president of South Korea. Psy is well known around the world because arts and entertainment mean a whole lot to us. I want to ask you guys, what about God's entertainment? We're made in the image of God, right? Entertainment is very important to us. Is that correct? What about God's entertainment? What interests God? Our entertainment is watching stories of people living exciting lives, like Iron Man. It's listening to songs about love between people. It's looking at pictures and art depicting the emotions that we feel and looking at pictures and art that even cause emotions to come up through us. It's pictures and art usually of things of this world. It stirs us up. God's entertainment is watching people living their lives, walking with Him. God's entertainment is listening to people singing of their love for Him. God's entertainment is seeing pictures and art, believe it or not, pictures and art depicting the emotions we feel and our relationship with them. Quite simply, God's entertainment is our worship to Him. God's entertainment is our worship to Him. If we recognize and honor entertainers so much for what they do and hold them in such high regard, then how much more does God honor His entertainers? Most of you didn't recognize Carlos Slim Hallou or Lee E. Cunny, but you recognize Kobe Bryant and you recognize Psy. So with that said, who do you think is the most recognized in heaven? Who do you think is the most famous there? 
Do you guys think Rick Warren is famous in heaven? Author of Purpose Driven Life. How about Joel Austin? He's very well known here on earth. He's famous here on earth. Is he the most famous in heaven? Is he the most recognized right now at this present day and age in heaven? How about Reverend Cho from South Korea, who created the biggest church in the world, or at least once was the biggest church in the world in a country that wasn't even Christian? Think he's the most famous? They're definitely the most powerful and influential of Christian leaders today. Now imagine during Jesus' time on earth, many people thought Jesus is the most powerful, most influential, most famous. Next would be his disciples. And they probably thought Peter. Peter is the most famous in heaven. Why? Because he talks the most. Okay? These guys are the top of the top. But it wasn't true. I want you guys to look at Matthew chapter 26. This is a well-known story. I'm going to share something different from it tonight, though. This story is in all four gospel accounts. I'm going to put it up here. So if you don't have your Bible, you can read along up here. I'll read it for you guys. It says, Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? Emphasis on that. Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. As I said, the story is in all four gospel accounts. In the gospel of Luke, this woman is referred to as the sinful woman. It's only in the gospel of John that she is identified. Mary Magdalene. That's who it was who poured out this ointment. The other gospel writers, for whatever reason, didn't seem it important to put her name. But I think they were haunted by Jesus' words. She has done a beautiful thing to me. And they had to include it in their writings. It wasn't often that Jesus said such words. But it went a lot deeper than that. You see, what she did, it was an act of worship. It was an act of love to him. And it went deep to Jesus' heart. When Jesus was resurrected, we read about this in the Gospel of John. You would think he would appear to the most famous, most influential, most powerful men of that time. To Peter, to James, to John, to the other disciples, or maybe to Pilate, or to King Herod, or someone else like that. But you know who Jesus wanted to see first? You know who was most famous in heaven and most famous to him? You know who he wanted to hug first? It was Mary Magdalene. She was far more famous in his heart. She was far more famous in heaven. Her worship went deep. One act of worship went deep to his heart. Cy wrote one song, turned the world upside down. Everybody knows this guy. Mary Magdalene did one act of worship. Jesus said, I want to see her first. 
I want to give her a hug first. She entertained his heart. Most people would think that God is most pleased with Rick, Rick Warren, Joel Osteen, Reverend Cho. Well, I'm not sure. It wouldn't surprise me that if in heaven right now, the most famous people is that little girl dancing for him. It's that guy just writing songs of love, devotion to him. These are the ones that minister to his heart. These are the ones giving true devotion like Mary Magdalene. These are the ones who are entertaining him, bringing him joy that his face is set upon. I'm going to come back to this, but I want to hit something on the religious spirit here. Because it is flagrant in this passage. It is flagrant, and it's flagrant in the church today. In three of the four gospel accounts, those who were with Jesus said, were said to be upset with the price of the ointment. They argued that it shouldn't have been wasted on Jesus. And they said it should have been given to the poor. What a waste. What a waste, they all said. And Jesus rebuked them all. I want to emphasize this point. The religious spirit will always say lavish worship is a waste. The religious spirit will always say lavish worship is a waste. Even today, such worship as what Mary did would be labeled as excessive and foolish. People would say this, that money could have supported missionaries, could have gone to the orphans, could have gone to the poor. God knows you love them. Why do you have to be so dramatic? Why do you got to make everyone feel uncomfortable? Your worship is excessive. Did you know that in communist countries, the arts were outlawed? Everything was drab and without life. Color was removed from society. This was in the USSR. This is still true today in North Korea. If you go to Pyongyang, you will see very little color except propaganda. The arts were used only for propaganda. Jazz is outlawed in North Korea. A famous pianist in North Korea, well-known, performed all around North Korea for, for the, the top officials. He was imprisoned because he was caught playing a French love song that was outlawed in North Korea. The communism was suffocating him so much because they're forcing him to play and to perform his arts only for propaganda and not freely, not creatively, not uniquely that he defected. He spent time in a prison in China for defectors, but he finally made it out. Now I, I, he plays at concert halls all around the world. This North Korean man, you guys can look him up on the Internet. Sadly, the church today is very communistic in regards to the arts. People today spend millions and millions on singers and sports players and entertainers, and we deem that as justifiable. We're okay with that because we're entertained by them. We love going to the movies, right? We love seeing the new show, High School Musical, let's go support Kate. I love this. It's great. Let's throw down 80,000 won. Let's throw down $100. No problem. The dance team wants an offering? No. Praise team? You guys play for free. No, 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 no. Don't get me wrong here. You guys play because you love the Lord. But I'm making a point here, guys. We spend almost nothing on creative worship to God. 
We view entertainment to God as less than secondary. Many Christians even feel uncomfortable at the thought of spending extra money on things like a dance team or opening a prophetic arts section in the church. What a waste. Make people bring their own stuff. Why should we spend money on that? What a waste. What a waste. Many Christians today think that revival will come if we spend extra money on this big-time guest preacher or if we do big outreaches, evangelistic outreaches to the lost. Or if we give huge offerings to the poor, then maybe God will be pleased. Then maybe God will show up and he will bless us. But the sad thing is, if we just read our Bibles, we'll see that there was a pattern of when revival came in the Bible. It had nothing to do with a big-time preacher. It had nothing to do with evangelistic outreach. It had nothing to do with giving money to the poor. All the greatest giving in the Bible was for the house of prayer also known as the tabernacle, later known as the temple. But it was the house of prayer. Jesus himself said, my temple shall be known as a house of prayer, a house of prayer for all nations. God's entertainment is worship. The house of prayer is his epicenter of worship. Think about this. You go into any house today, where is the furniture facing? Facing the TV. Because we love entertainment. Nothing wrong with that. But that's just true of almost every family in the world today. You walk into any apartment, house, whatever, all the furniture is facing the TV. We love our entertainment. If God loves worship, where do you think he's putting his chairs? Where do you think his focus is? In Exodus, when the tabernacle was made, the Israelites gave generously gold, silver, and all sorts of other precious gifts. When the tabernacle was completed, God's fire fell from heaven on the offering. In 2 Chronicles, Solomon overlaid the temple with gold, silver, and bronze. He spared no expense on making the temple a beautiful place for worship and prayer to God. God responded to the work by filling the temple with a cloud of his glory. Now, that cloud of glory did not come when Solomon spoke. It came before Solomon spoke. It came when the Levites, the singers, and the musicians were playing their instruments and shouting unto God. It said the glory of the Lord filled the temple, and the priests could not go in. They couldn't do the work. God wasn't responding to the big-time hotshot King Solomon. He was responding to the worship. He was delighting in it. He filled the place with his glory. King Hezekiah. Someone you probably never heard of, Sheshbazar in Ezra chapter 1. And Ezra are just a few others who received huge offerings, either from Israel and Judah or from King Cyrus or from King Xerxes to rebuild the temple, the house of prayer. And each time there was great revival. Every time they rebuilt the temple, there was either fire from heaven, there was a glory cloud, there was great joy, or there were clear prophetic words from God that were released to his people. God loves the house of prayer. See, the temple wasn't just about offerings and slaying bulls and sheep and rams. It wasn't just about that. King David in 1 Chronicles 23, he set up 4,000 musicians and singers to worship God in the temple day and night. 4,000. It was the epicenter of worship. It was God's big screen TV. His favorite worship. 
You see, while the religious spirit yells that our money should go to the poor, God's priorities are actually very different. Very different. In Deuteronomy 14, it's a chapter about tithing. Tithing. Very important in the church, right? God instructs that the tithe of his people, the tithe of his people should first go to his temple, to the house of prayer. Second, it should go to the Levites, his workers in the field. Last, it should go to the poor, to the orphan, to the widow. God's priorities are very clear. God's entertainment is very important to him. His worship is very important to him. The tithe always went first to the house of prayer. Many people talk about Malachi chapter 3 when they quote tithing. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. But did you know Malachi chapter 1 through 3 is mainly a rebuke to the priests and the Levites for neglecting the temple and offering poor sacrifices to God. And Malachi chapter 3 is the rebuke goes to all of Israel. And it says, bring the full tithe into my storehouse. Now, is the storehouse the poor? Is the storehouse all the Levites ministering around the country? No. It's the house of prayer. God wanted his ministers taken care of. God wanted those who were worshiping him day and night to be taken care of. That's how much God's worship, God's entertainment is important to him. God's worship is far more important than poor people getting money. God's worship is far more important than those orphans getting a scholarship. God's worship is far more important than me being supported to be an orphanage minister here in South Korea. He will receive the glory. He is first to be praised. The rest will come forth. As we behold his beauty, as we look to him, we get his heart. And as we get his heart, that's when we're able to go in his heart. That's when we're able to be effective. That's when we're able to support the other things as well. But first and foremost... We've got to worship him. His worship must be first. First Chronicles 29 is about Israel and King David giving lavishly for the temple. Get this. They gave well over 375,000 pounds of gold for the temple. That's over 170,000 kilograms of gold for the temple. It's for a building. Think about how many poor people they could have provided for with all that money. 375,000 pounds of gold that could have fed the nation. Instead, they put it into one building, the temple of the Lord. First Chronicles 29, verse 3, you can put it up here. It says this, David says, Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver because of my devotion to the house of God, and I give it to the house of my God. This word right here, treasure, is only used eight times in the entire Bible. Six of those times, it's when God says, you are my treasured possession of his people. That's how strong that word treasure is. This is the word that God used for us. Eight times in the Bible, six times God was using it for us. This was how precious David's offering was to him. David was giving his absolute greatest treasure to the house of prayer. Treasure of his own. So I've already mentioned how the religious spirit says that lavish worship is a waste. The religious spirit will also try and say that we all sound the same before God, and that he loves to be worshipped by us regardless of whether we sound good or not. While that might be true for those who don't possess the resources, don't have, you know, they're tone deaf, it's not true for those who possess these things. 
God loves the heart of the poor, but those with resources have no excuse. I could grab the guitar right now and sing, God is so good. I know the chords. And it would sound horrible. (laughs) And I could say, guys, I just want to worship. Just let me worship the Lord. And I think maybe, you know, some of the religious people would say, oh, it's good. It's, you know, it's, it's great. You know, he loves the Lord. But I think God would be plugging his ears. And God would say, what type of entertainment is this? You've lived your whole life. You could have practiced the guitar your whole life. You could have practiced your vocal cords your whole life. And this is what you give me. Here, baby, I'm going to propose to you. Here's a lollipop. You know, here's one of those lollipop little rings, right? I got resources for so much more, but this is what I'm going to give you. Why do you think churches like Hillsong and Lakewood are exploding? Lakewood's the biggest church in America. Hillsong is worldwide. Their worship is extravagant. Extravagant. Both churches are like concert halls during worship. That makes religious people very uncomfortable. Religious people would rather be in something more plain and simple. They would have rather taken that 375,000 pounds of gold, given it to the poor, and just had a nice wooden room, humble. Let's just worship God on our knees without chairs. <laughs> God loves entertainment. He loves extravagant worship. God continues to bless Hillsong and Lakewood more and more. Lakewood is the church where Joel Olstein pastors. And it's the largest church in the States. And you guys probably know, Joel Osteen takes less than 30 minutes to preach his message. And many people have labeled him as seeker-sensitive. But do you know how long they worship at Lakewood? One hour. They worship for an hour before he gets up and gives his message. That's not seeker-sensitive. Do you want to know why they get away with that? Because they're good at what they do. They're professional. You guys don't go to a concert and after three songs be like, I'm tired. I want to sit down. Man, will they just stop singing up there? But I bet you guys feel that in some churches. But when you're in a concert hall and it's good, keep it going. Keep it going. I want more. I want more. This is good. How do you think God feels? Why is it that people always talk about, yeah, they went to that retreat and it was really powerful, you know, but it's just like a mountain high, you know, I don't like that. They went to Passion Conference and got blasted, but, you know, it's just, it's just that. Why do you think God loves these things? Because all His people are coming together and worshiping Him. Why do you think He blesses the Passion Conference? Because they're good at what they do. We love concerts. We throw tons of money to go to concerts, to go to sports events. Go to World Cup Stadium. See a soccer game, even though we don't even, don't even care about soccer. We just want to go because that atmosphere. It's so awesome. How do you think God feels when Lakewood, that, that coliseum, that auditorium, it gets packed? That stadium gets packed. When Hillsong has their conferences and all these famous worship leaders get up there and worship the Lord with all their heart. You better believe me, God is watching. God loves it. He loves entertainment. He loves good worship. I need you guys to know worship is not just singing, though. 
It's not just singing worship. Mary Magdalene, her form of worship was pouring out an expensive ointment upon the Lord, just in, in her love and devotion for him. And there are instances, many instances in the Psalms and other parts of the Bible where God's people are called to dance, dance before the Lord. Miriam, the prophetess, she was sister to Moses. As soon as they walked through the Red Sea, she led all the women of Israel in dancing before the Lord. You think God was like, hey, what are they doing? Where's the, where's the songs? You know, I, I need my guitarist and I need my keyboard. No, God was loving it. Dance before the Lord. What did Jesus like to talk about all his years of teaching? He loved stories, parables. Jesus loved sharing different stories about this Samaritan, you know, about this person, you know, who lost her coins, about the lost sheep. He loved sharing so many different stories. He was an amazing storyteller. Guys, literature is a form of entertainment. You guys are looking at your smartphone all day. Facebook, Facebook, wanting to be entertained, wanting to read something. God loves these things. Jesus loves videos. He loves dramas. He loves books. He loves pictures. He loves anything depicting his love. He loves anything that tugs at our emotions and tugs at his emotions. That's true entertainment to him. God loves the arts. God really inspired me to preach this message when Sky and I were in Europe. We went to the Netherlands and to Belgium in June, and I couldn't ignore all the street musicians. If you go to Europe, they're everywhere. And some of these guys were good. These guys were, these guys were like, wait, let's stop and listen for a while. Good. Some of them were bad. All right. Some of these guys, I don't know what they're doing. All right. But a lot of these guys were so good, they had their CDs laid out. Have you guys gone to Seoul Station or Itaewon Station and seen someone playing an instrument with CDs laid out? It's not the culture here. But in Europe, arts are celebrated. Arts are really celebrated. And every time I would pass by these musicians, I was hearing the voice of God. And I kept hearing him saying, support the arts. Support the arts. So I'd reach in, pull out some euros, and put it in there. (laughs) But I knew it wasn't just give money to these guys. I knew God was wanting to say more. He was wanting to say more. And I was encouraged by these street musicians. They clearly loved their craft. Talent ones who had, had, the talented ones who had their own CDs, they weren't just doing it for a few bucks. Who has their own CD and goes out to play for a few dollars? They were going outside because they knew they had to practice. Every good musician practices. Every good artist practices. They weren't insecure. They weren't afraid. They knew the culture of Europe was a culture that celebrates the arts. They knew if they went out, people would applaud them. Some people might give them a little bit of cash, but more than that, if i got to practice, why should I practice in my own little room where no one can hear me? I would rather go out and bless people around me. Think about that. They were choosing to share their gift at every opportunity without fear of rejection. That's beautiful. And I felt God was wanting that for the church. Watching them made me think of all my friends who are on praise teams, dance teams, drama teams, media teams, artists, writers. And my heart just went out to them. Because the church rarely supports such groups. Artists tend to get taken advantage of. 
Just because they're skilled at singing or photography or design or dancing, they're often asked to perform or serve. And people think, after all, that's what you enjoy to do. Why don't you just do it for me? Why don't you entertain me? Why don't you entertain these people? Why don't you do this? And they're glad to do it. But the irony is, as I mentioned before, the same people who are doing these things for the secular realm are paid handsomely. And we're okay with that. Not just the, the actors and the athletes, but also those in media. They're paid very well. But in the church, it's, you know, just, just do it for free. Well, that's not what I wanted. Change this up. And I've learned personally, serving at Jerusalem Ministry, the injustice of this and how sad this is. Because we've had many different artists work for us. And uh, I remember early on uh, with one of our camps, I'm not going to name it, but one of our camps uh, had a videographer come in and and do it, and, and did a great job. I liked it, but I sent it to a former staff who had left. And uh, he was like, oh, you know, it's, it's good, but, you know, this should change, this should change, this should change, this should change. And I got back, and, I mean, it was my f- first time really working with this stuff, so I just sent it to him. I said, I change all this stuff. And, uh, you know, he changed it for me, and it was good. But, you know, I, I didn't really express clear thanks to him, and I didn't, I definitely didn't express what I appreciated about that. I was just using them. And I found out later that it really hurt them. And it was God opening my eyes about how insensitive and how ungrateful I was and how unsupportive I had been. And now I'm married to my wife, Skye, and she does design. And we can't even count how many groups have asked her to do logos and T-shirts and this and that and this and that and this and that and this and that for her. What you love to do, just do it for us. Do it for us. Do it for us. Do it for this ministry. Do it for this cause. Do it for this. But they don't know how much goes into that. And that her art is part of her identity. And so like that videographer, when the response is, change this, change this, change this, change this, it's attacking her identity. And it's saying, you're not good enough. That creativity that you possess, clearly, it's, it's not what I want. So change this. And the sad thing is, so few people know how to be grateful, how to support, and how to encourage. And so the culture isn't like Europe where we celebrate these things and where they don't get mad at those guys who aren't good playing on the street, but they still allow it and some people still support them. They, they love the arts. But in the church, it's just use them and abuse them. So I've learned this firsthand. And I've learned that those who are artists really need the support, the support of those around them to succeed. They really need praise, not just your money. Money is really not the first priority. What they need is a place to practice. They need a place where they feel safe, where they can be free, where they can hone their craft and know that no one's going to say, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Change that, change that, change that, change that. I don't like your creativity. I don't like your creativity. I don't like your creativity. You know, a lot of people looked at Picasso's paintings. They said, that's just whack. That's just weird. I don't like it. But Picasso didn't stop. And he kept going. And some people found it so amazing that they will spend $106 million for one painting. We don't all have the same taste. We don't all like pro golf. We don't all like the opera. We don't all like musicals. We don't all like 
black and white pictures. We prefer color. or we, pre- we prefer this tint. We prefer that. And I understand, if you're hiring someone, you know, and they're working for you, you've you got to work with that a little. But the truth is, is creativity needs to be fostered. It needs to be encouraged. And it cannot be boxed in. It has to be free. It has to be supported. Little practice time, little support, and little freedom do not make for pleasing entertainment to God. The religious spirit might see something new and different, and they would say, what a waste. What a waste. But Jesus and all of heaven are watching, and they are approving. You see, David's brothers, they didn't approve of David at all. God saw David's heart. God loved David. It wasn't that David killed Goliath, that God loved David. It wasn't that David was a great king, that God loved David. God loved his worship. God loved his heart. And what was found in David's heart? To build a house of prayer for God. That's what came out of David's heart. That's why God remembered him. King after king after king after king after king. The Bible would keep saying, because God remembered his love for David, he would spare this king. He would show grace to the nation. You see, David's works, while we celebrate David and Goliath, what his works have truly made a legacy is the book of Psalms. We still sing those songs all the time. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. That is in almost every language, in almost every people group that has at least heard of the gospel would recognize those words. That's God's heart for worship. We often think that those who are most visible and lead the most people are the most famous in heaven. But the book of faith that we read about in Hebrews, you want to know the first four people in there? Abel, Enoch, Noah, and Abraham. They led their families. Abel didn't even have a family as far as we know. But you want to know why God honored them above all other men, it was because of their worship. It was because they walked with the Lord. It was because they loved the Lord. And while we want to get all hyped up about those who have authority and those who are reigning right now and those who are conquering the world, God's looking at that person just writing a love story to the Lord. He's looking at that person just worshiping him. Just worshiping him on that street corner. No one on earth is paying attention. I can guarantee you God's focus is right there. He's pulled up his chair and he's watching. He's loving it. Many of you think you have little to offer. You think all you have to offer to God is a few pennies compared to the riches of those more talented and more successful around you. Jesus is watching. He's watching your heart and he's delighting in you. The poor widow with a few pennies She went up, and she was found to be far more famous in heaven than all those rich people around her. Her worship was sincere. Her worship was undivided. Even though she had so little, even though she probably felt so insecure, what are my arts? What are my creativity? What do I have to offer? It seems like penances compared to all these rich and talented people around me. But I'm going to still give it to the Lord. Jesus said she's given far more than anyone else. She is famous in heaven. I'm going to invite up Susie. I set the lights.
You guys saw in the first half of this message how important arts and entertainment are to us. You guys saw how famous all these people that we don't even have an interest in, like Kobe Bryant for many of you. We still know who they are. We still recognize them. So much more in heaven. God recognizes his entertainers. God recognizes his artists. You don't know the legacy that you're leaving. I want all the dancers, all the artists in this room, I want you guys to stand up. Dancers, artists, musicians, those of you who write, those of you who take pictures, those of you who take videos, this is all in the form of arts and entertainment. I want you to stand up. believe right now God's calling for us to have an undivided heart. You see, many of those who are in media, many of those who are in the arts, many of those who are in these things, they either have to treat it as a hobby, something on the side, or they have to go to the secular world. Because the secular world celebrates singing, dancing, celebrates photography, videography. And so there's this division in the heart. Because you want to do it for the Lord, but you know the only way I'm going to make a living by doing this is by doing it for the world. Or by just doing it as my little hobby. And that might be the culture right now, and that might be just what we have to face at this moment. But I really believe with all my heart, God is calling each and every one of you standing today to offer your talent, to offer your creativity. I don't care if it's pennies to offer it to the Lord undividedly and to say, God, I want to worship you. I want to worship you. And even though Mary Magdalene wasn't mentioned the rest of the Bible after Jesus appeared to her, she will forever be remembered in heaven. She is famous in heaven. God, I just want to worship you. It might seem so simple. This poem I'm about to write, this picture of the sky I'm about to take, it might seem so simple, and the world around me might say, what a waste, what a waste of time, what a waste of energy, why aren't you making more money, why aren't you doing this or that, but this is my devotion to you, this is my love for you, this is my alabaster jar, this is what I pour out before you, and I want to tell you that God is taking his seat, and he's planting it down right in front of you. And he's watching, and he is delighting, and he is laughing, and he is crying, and his heart is being tugged. He is delighting in you, just as he delighted in Mary. She has done a beautiful thing for me, a beautiful thing for me. She will forever be remembered. She will forever be remembered. The Lord honors you. The Lord honors you. I'm going to give you guys just a moment. I want you guys to just express your devotion to the Lord. I want you to just consecrate your gift and say, God, I feel insecure about this. I keep wanting to quit. I keep wanting to lay it down. I keep wanting to hide my talent because it's just one. It's just one. It doesn't seem like much compared to those around me. God's saying, no. 
Give it to me. Give it to me. Lay it down. Lay it down. Don't think you got to give it to the world. Don't think you got to give it to the swine. Give it to me. Give it to me. Let's lay it down, church, right now. Let's lay it down. All our talents, all our creativity, just lay it down before him. Undivided heart, God. This I give to you. I give to you the full heart of worship. Give it to you, God.